Hi, you're listening to Alchemy, a podcast where I meet with New Zealand creatives to learn how they combine design, tech, and business to create exceptional products and user experiences. My name is Philip Fairlinger. I was a co-founder of Zero, where I was head of design for nearly 10 years. These days, I'm an investor and advisor to various startups. This podcast is made in collaboration with the College of Creative Arts at Massey University, where I'm an adjunct professor. We're doing this podcast first and foremost to help design students get familiar with the people shaping our industry. You'll hear about their insights, their struggles, their breakthroughs with a uniquely New Zealand perspective. Check the show notes for links to videos and other content mentioned during the show. Just go to alchemypodcasts.com. That's alchemypodcasts with an S at the end, dot com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at alchemypodcasts. Again, that's with an S at the end. In today's episode, I talk with Natasha Lampard, Tosh as she's known, co-founder of Webstock, which is widely considered to be one of the world's top design and tech conferences. We're extremely lucky to have Webstock here in New Zealand. You can visit webstock.org.nz to watch videos of nearly every speaker from the conference over the past 12 years. I've been very lucky to attend every single Webstock since it started in 2006. I've also been to lots of other conferences around the world, some really great ones, but there's nothing like Webstock. Part of it is just the vibe. There's a charm and a friendliness that's really uplifting. And as you'll hear, Tosh and her team put a lot of care and energy into creating that vibe, the sensory experience, as she describes it. It's also the quality and variety of speakers. The talks at Webstock are like a brilliant combination of a TED Talk mixed with an episode of Chef's Table, a feast for the eyes, the mind, and the heart. A few major themes emerged from our interview that I'd like to highlight. First off, the importance of giving a damn, deeply caring about what you're doing, sweating the details, and focusing on who you're doing it for. Which leads to the next theme. As makers, the work we do is in service to others. Our work needs to serve a wide range of people who don't all think the same, don't all look the same, and don't all behave the same. Tosh talks about a Japanese philosophy which she admires and she tries to live by, called omotonashi, a spirit of service and hospitality. We have to be mindful of the responsibility we have as makers to think about the long-term impact on society, not just our short-term personal gains. And finally, a theme that keeps coming up over and over again in all of these interviews is the power of words. In this case, how words are the starting point for great ideas. Words inspire people. Words set a mood. Words also connect us. Words help us understand the greater good that we can all achieve together. It's a really inspiring interview that I hope gets you excited about the work you're doing, and I hope it gets you thinking about the long-term impact your work can have on lots of people. We also look back at Natasha's early career, which started with a passion for the web and advocating on behalf of users in the early days of TradeMe. So, let's get into it. There's a lot of people probably who aren't familiar. It feels like, to me, everyone knows what Webstock is. But on the one hand, it's a design and technology conference. But that's like saying Apple is a computer company. Um, So what is Webstock? And and in particular, what is Webstock to you? Um, Well, first, thanks for having me, Philip. Uh, Webstock is, it began in 2006, and it really came out of the web standards movement. And 
Well, it, as well as the Webstands movement, it also came out of fandom. Mm. So being, there were a group of us, designers, developers, um, UX people, and we had a whole lot of people who inspired us. And those people ended up being our speakers and also being our audience members. And so it was really a way for us to bring together and to be around and almost through osmosis, try to absorb some of the um, the goodness and the brilliance that these people um, brought and bring. As the web has changed, Webstock has kind of changed a little bit too. So I think that now it is design and development technology, but it's also about people and place and society and about the ethics and about the reasons why we do the things that we do and the impacts of those decisions. And so it's it's a, a place for us to come together and hopefully to be given a new perspective or a different perspective to some of the, the things that we're doing currently and the things that we may see in the future. Mm. But also it's a place for us to celebrate the work that has been done, the work that is being done right now, and the fact that um, there are people who care. And I think that really, for me, that's what it is. It's about really giving a damn. Mm. And um, I am really in love with the idea of the craftsperson, the person who who takes pride in their work, who lives it and breathes it and just consumes it. Um and is consumed by it. And I see and have seen over the years a number of people that I really regard as craftspeople. And so it's a way to bring those people together and um, and to yeah, for them to be celebrated mm. and hopefully for us all to realise that we are or have the potential to become craftspeople if, um, if we want, if we choose to care enough. Had you ever put on anything, a conference before? And it started out of the gate pretty big, right? It, it wasn't just um, a small thing that you built up towards. It was pretty... Well, in the, in the very beginning, um, Mike Brown, my mm. business partner, he was doing smaller meetups. Right. And he had had um, two or three of these. Um, and I came back from the UK and met Mike, I think, after his first one. And so I put my hand up and said, I would love to, to join up right. um, because I just thought it sounded really cool. Mm. And I'm very, um, I, it just sounded like a fun thing right. to be a part of. So they were smaller and then, um, and were, but they weren't called Webstock at that no, point. No, right? that yeah. was the web standards right. meetup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as my friends have told me, I tend to do, <laughs> I kind of, I don't do things by halves. Mm. And so after a period of time of, of um, hanging out with Mike and realizing that we have very similar interests mm. and a very similar perspective. Um, he and I were really excited by the idea of doing something bigger. And I think um, the infamous quote that people who retell this story have used is me in the back of a car after a few wines saying, fuck it, let's get Tim Berners-Lee and call it Webstock. And, um, and the idea just really took off from there. Right. And so we had no experience running events, um, well, events of, of that kind. Yeah. Um, I felt that I had been to a few before, and I knew what I didn't want to experience. Mm. And I knew what I didn't want the people that I 
um, respected and and really wanted to honour. I, I know what I didn't want them to experience and I knew what I wanted them to walk away with. Um, it was very difficult. Mm. I, I'm not going to lie. It was, um, we were met with a lot of challenges. We were told that the best thing to do, having had no experience, was to get a professional conference organiser, right. a PCO. And they certainly brought a lot of experience and know-how that, that we didn't have. And so I'm very grateful for that. Mm. But what it did mean was a constant butting of heads around the experience that we wanted to create because we didn't want I actually refused to even use the term conference because right. to me it felt so corporate and so boring mm. I guess yeah, yeah. and 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 what had been done before and in my in my mind I had wanted mm. it to be very much like um like a festival so mm. as I mentioned before I'd only just returned from mm. the UK and I really enjoyed our life in overseas and I didn't really want to return home um but situations um out of our control meant that we had to, mm. to come back so the way that I kind of dealt with that was to throw myself into all of the the things that mm. I loved and, and try and find um you know joy and happiness in, in, in that way and one of the things I did is I just booked like every music festival right. that I could um, in, in like a three month period and one that really stood out to me was Kaikoura Roots mm. which um, was really small and it was like on the in someone's farm and it was just this experience of um, I, I'd never been in such a place where everyone was so friendly mm. and so welcoming and there were all different kinds of people, different interests, but they were brought together by this love of the music and this appreciation, I think, of, of the land as well. Everyone was very respectful of, um, of the place and of what the artists were doing. Um, and so I guess inspired by that feeling that I walked yeah. away with, I really wanted to see if, if we could put some of that into this thing. So how did, how'd you go about doing that? So like, you have some ideas about what you don't want to do, what you do want to do, and that it's not just an experience, but it's an, a feeling that people come away with. Um, so how do you translate that from these ideas in your head into turning it into action? Well, I, I guess I, it's not something that I thought about at the time. Mm. Um, but uh, a friend of mine said when I was about 14 or 15 that the way that I write is that you can really tell how I'm feeling mm. and, and that it's a very, it's very much a reflection. I, I write as I am. Mm. And so, um, I guess because I was the person who was firing off a lot of the emails to people, the first thing perhaps that, well, the first thing, yes, definitely that a lot of people responded with was that there was a, a real sense of enthusiasm and excitement and that, um, people have said that the words were like jumping off the page with how much, you know, um, so does that mean, so you sent out like basically to just get a feel for, is anyone interested in this? You Well, we kind of didn't even, we skipped that right, step. Yeah, okay. We just went straight to like, this is happening. first of all, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a whole lot of, um, fandom. Right. Uh, so it was writing to people mm. that we loved yeah. and, and saying, hi, we've never done this before, but we're going to do this. And mm. we would love, 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 love for you to be, uh, the star of the show right and and then it was writing to um people that we hoped would would be a part of it a part of our audience mm. and saying is this something that might you know like tickle your fancy because here it is yeah 
So I think maybe language was the very first yeah. um, thing that helped us. And I've been criticized for it as well. I mean, mm. certainly mm. my language has been described um, and with all sorts of adjectives, but um, the, an early one was that it was bubblegummy and that no one would respond well to that. Right. And and that's 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 totally cool because mm. I guess I'm sometimes a bit bubblegummy mm. and sometimes mm. people don't respond to me. Mm. But I don't think that um, anyone could say that I... Um, the way that I genuine. feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. is is yeah. not in keeping with how I feel. In in that in those early planning stages, did you actually put into words the 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 vision for this? Did you have like a manifesto or no. any kind of? So no, it was it was pretty impro- improvisational then, ad hoc. I think nothing was written, but it was talked about a lot. Right, right. The some of the discussions that. Um, I wanted us to kind of think about and that we all, I think we're on, mm. on the same page with really was from that very, from, from the very beginning, how do we want people to feel? And so what's the very first touch point mm. of, of the Webstock experience? And that might be the registration process or that might be the, well, first of all, it's probably the website. Mm. So what does the website look like? What kind of, um, how do we want people to feel when they're looking through this, hopefully excited and mm. like wanting to hit the register button. Um, and then it's, yeah, the next touch point really is that registration process. And then it would be like, what do we want people to feel and smell and see when they walk into the venue? And how can we really try to break each component down into its smallest part Mm. and then craft it around all the little things that end up making the big thing? Right. How do we want people to feel, which then makes them think a mm. certain way mm. and and hopefully it it, it helps them um it, if, if you're in a really good space if you're feeling really great i think your brain opens up to absorbing so much knowledge mm. and and thinking about the possibilities of your own work and of yourself as part of something far bigger mm. than perhaps if you're just you know, you're working on a really difficult project right now and you feel maybe a little bit frustrated and a little bit alone and no one else understands. But if you can come to this re- this place, this retreat, this mm. this experience and, and everything that um, you want or everything you didn't even know you wanted, but actually you do, has kind of been considered and that you just feel good, then I think that sometimes the... the Negative emotions can be replaced by something far stronger, mm. which then really propel um, motion forward and um, and ultimately end up making for a better industry and for ultimately a better web, mm. which I think it, it's a lofty goal. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, yeah. It, you know, at some point you, you, you've reached out to people and you've got people, it's, it's happening and all of a yeah. sudden things are coming together and then, as you said, you had to put together a website and branding for it and uh, the, the, the actual experience of the attendees. And it seems that, that that was all very, very thought out and, and considered. So how did, you, how did you go about that? Did you treat that almost as a user experience design project or was it more? Yeah, in, in some ways. So we were um, given... We were really, really fortunate that Mike had some great relationships, um, long-standing relationships with some wonderful people in Wellington. Mm. So DNA um, helped us with our brand um, mm. initially, um, and Vink 
being the person who was uh, responsible for the, for its creation. Mm. Um, and then within the, the team, because, you know, we were web people, we were able to come up with a website pretty quickly. Um, and we were given some direction from that professional conference organizing team um, around some of the, the kind of bits and pieces that you need. You need a sponsorship document. And, and they, um, they provided us with one, um, which was really good to see what was in one because we'd never seen, you know, one. Mm, mm-hmm. But it proved just, uh, it was such a, a great way to say this is everything we don't want to do. And so we we rewrote it um, with the language that we use and um, trying to explain the what what our vision was mm. for for the event, and we we have worked really really hard on it. But I think so much of Webstock is also there's luck. Mm. We there were very few conferences at the time. Mm. Um, we came at a time where. Yeah, it was it was the right time yeah. for something like this to happen, and so I certainly acknowledge the luck mm. component. I think it's much harder now, in a lot of ways, than it it was back then to mm. get started. I think right. starting is often really it's it is not without its challenges. My goodness, but starting something and then continuing right. the the process of maintenance and of trying to improve and the continuous improvement that to me is far more challenging right. than those initial right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Initial because you've already set yourself a standard. Yeah, and, and it's been really and, and hard. So, to... And you've set expectations. Mm-hmm. And so, and every year, um, at, in all things that we do, we want to be better, right? Yep. We want to do it better, mm. than, or at least, uh, you know, along the same lines of of goodness or yeah. excellence or whatever it is that we're striving for. So what were what were some of the things that you were clearly wanting to avoid that you felt like were the trappings of existing conferences? Well, I mean, I had had experiences at conferences at one particular one um, just was a few months before we started talking about this. And I was asked if I was someone's secretary because, of course, how could it? <laughs> I should be either in the kitchen or, uh, you know, um, so I guess just. And, and that, I came away from that um, quite baffled. Mm. I think it wasn't just about gender. It was about making sure that everybody is is um, seen and valued and heard, right? For, you know, it doesn't and, – and really, if I was someone's secretary, because I was a secretary, at, you know, in, in my um, earlier career, and – they work hard. Mm. Secretaries know a lot of mm. stuff and they really keep things yeah. ticking along. So if I was a secretary, I should still have the same sense of place and of um, value. Mm. Um, so that, that was um, an experience that I was really influenced by, I guess. Mm. Um, I also, well, we all agreed that we didn't want anyone being sold to. This was to be right. a completely yeah, pimp-free yeah. zone. That people were here to talk and and exchange ideas and feel part of something. They were not to be seen as um, as as potential sources of money mm. of income because yeah. I think that then 
that totally alters the experience. Mm, mm. You want to feel like you're there to have a great time. It's like if you turn up at someone's house and then they bring out the Amway or something. It's like, mm. oh, I thought we were just hanging out and having yeah. a great time. Yeah. What what we wanted to do was have them be a partner, I mm. guess, in the experience. And so if through their the brilliance mm. of um, of their ideas, they do something that really adds to the event, mm. then that is the way that I think that they will sell. Mm. Because they seem to be um, a, a place with integrity mm. and with kindness and with a great product and great people. Mm. And that is, to me, the far cleverer way to do it. You don't right. bang, yeah, you yeah. know, knock someone over with it, um, with your product. You, you try to knock them over with just being really yeah. just kind and great and, and just awesome. Yeah. And generosity. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it's and I think it's the long game. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which I am, you know, very interested in and um, have spoken about at Webstock the the whole kind of thinking mm. about it in, in the longer term that we are in an environment where growth, exponential growth, and um, and the exit as the goal. Mm. This is kind of the way that people have been raised, I guess, in, in the web. And so to think about an alternative to that, mm. um, that we can we can be smaller and we can not necessarily do everything all at once and grow with our customers or our audience or our clients or whatever we want to call them, that that is um, a really honorable mm. way to it. It's just a different definition of success. Mm. And um, so I think it's really... It, it's it's again that kind of gut feeling of when you partner with someone or when you encounter someone who you think could be a great speaker or that you want to be part of the kind of community part of the audience if they have um, if they understand concepts like that and ideals like that then um, that really is the privilege I guess of being able to put on webstock it's connecting with people who really share um, the longer I mm. guess kinder yeah. um, way of, of working and of the craft and of the industry. And so do you think that's you, um, you've influenced the way people think and the way they behave after having um, experienced Webstock? I've never, I've never thought about it in, in those terms. Uh, we've certainly had people share with stories mm. that, that there has been um, a change in people's thinking or mm. opportunities have arisen out of the experience. I mean, you, you want that, mm. you want to be an, you know, an influencer, but that also there's something that kind of repels me from, from that because it feels a very ego, um, orientated, mm. you know, I want to influence. Well, yeah. it's, it's the ideas and it's the speakers. So yes, we want to create a platform yeah. and an environment in which people are exposed to ideas that resonate and that may alter the way that they think and feel about their work and, and obviously we want that to be in a positive way mm. but I am uncomfortable with a term like that if I or anyone on the on the team mm. influences because when it's not about us sure. it's about the space but, but it's the movement that you know do you feel like there's a movement that you've kind of created well, not I, just an I event know, but a, a mo movement but I think I was speaking to someone yesterday and it, we were talking actually about the whole um the long game yeah. and she said that she remembers 
um, having a conversation with someone who whose uh, work was all about high growth, getting getting mm. companies, startups to high growth um, positions, and that he had read my piece on the on-scene mm-hmm. thing, and that he now works with companies who are actively choosing not to go mm-hmm. for the exit. And I was really struck by, by that. Um, but yes, it's, it, it's really stories where people have heard of something at Webstock mm. and then that has that has greatly impacted their future work. Or well, I mean, certainly I remember quite vividly, you know, from the very first Webstock, uh, something that had a huge impact on me was um, there was uh, the blind... Desi- oh, Jonathan Moser? Yeah, that was talking about Jaws and showing oh, people Jaws. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't remember oh, his Dar- name. That was Darren Fittler. He's an Australian, Australian yeah, 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 yeah. lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And that is... Yeah, because I remember having a stand-up argument with someone far earlier on in my career that blind people don't use the internet. Mm. And that was so offensive to mm. me. And so um, the the opportunity, I guess, to, to reveal mm. that actually they do, and here's how, and here's how the little time-saving things that we may do have a significant impact on another person's experience. And, I mean um, that that just witnessing somebody using Jaws, yeah. So pain. which Jaws is a is a reader, a, a, a browser for that speaks out a page, and yeah, that that a, a poorly structured page is a nightmare to navigate versus a well structured page is very quick and very obvious. Yeah, um, and it doesn't take much. the 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 difference between a well structured page and a poorly structured page is actually not that enormous of a difference in terms of um, technical skills or production time. It's just the thought, putting yes. the thought into and it. And the care. And the care, yes. Yeah, which again is about that, the craftsperson. Yeah. You know, if you, if you care, you will do, it's like if you, um, a, a great jacket or something, you know, mm-hmm. it's the little threads mm-hmm. that people don't necessarily see mm-hmm. unless you rip the thing apart. Mm-hmm. But it's when, when that is cared for because you love mm-hmm. what you're creating and you love what you're doing you do give them a little bit more finesse mm. and you do consider those, you make um, considerations around that. But if you are just trying to get the thing, just get it done, yeah. then just you just you catch don't, a check. You, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't give a toot about what yeah. other people can't see. Or in some place, you know, in some situations, you don't even care about what people can see. You're just trying to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's, I, I think that, it just and that goes was against. that was an interesting thing about you started out in the web standards kind of space and, and that that was a big movement at the time and that was I think kind of um, where a lot of the focus was at the time and I so from an impact perspective it certainly had an impact on me and I feel like you know other people that I worked with who attended also had that and therefore it had this ripple effect on the the wider community that all of a sudden our cl- we're telling our clients. Hey, you need to care about this. This That's is important. Awesome. So, if if Web Standards was kind of the early days, um, how how's the conference evolved, both in terms of like the event itself, the experience, but also the you know the the themes and the the community that you kind of are shaping. Well, I think that that is one of the things. That's one of the challenges, really, is that it it was far more well defined in those early days. Mm. 
and because of the ubiquity. In what sense? Well, we knew that we really wanted to um, deal primarily with web standards and with user experience. Mm. Now, because the web is so far reaching, mm. um, it's it's almost like where do you know which bit are we going to take on? But I think what I hope underpins the experience or or the 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 things that people take away um, is that real appreciation of how the design decisions and development decisions that we make have a significant impact on and the language that we use mm. that that has a significant experience or a significant impact, impact yeah, yeah. on the people that we are creating these things for and you know there there's lots of talk about being user centric and putting the customer mm. first and and all of and all of these wonderful things that we really should be striving to do but it's uh, it's when sometimes we're exposed to people actually using it and and seeing cases that are outside of our norm that we really do begin to appreciate that the work that we're doing maybe isn't uh, wide enough. Mm. The work that, that Sasha Judd mm. speaks of, um, understanding that not everyone... That was an eye-opener for me. Oh, that, isn't she brilliant? The, so one of the things that came out of that was the, the idea that um, you may be trying to hire and this was a problem I had at zero with the hiring um, women for product design roles. That was a real challenge. And the, the point that Sasha was making is that sometimes the language that you use in your job advert, that you're using gender-biased language that you're not even aware of, yes, and that that will immediately have, obviously, a, a direct impact on the candidates who even respond Yes. To to those ads, and so that was something that immediately resonated and was like, "Holy shit! I need to look at my ads. What ads are we doing? Because yeah. that, yeah, that could be a real problem. That could be it." And um, and I talked to actually Sonia um, Williams from Sharesies, and they're they're using it there, and I suspect that it was probably influenced by Sasha. So it is one of those. And also, what's fascinating to me, and what I love, is that. Language just keeps coming up as an, a foundational element of creating a user experience and forming a community and forming a culture around what we're doing, around the craft that we're doing. When you look at software, it's made out of words. Mm. And so we have to be incredibly thoughtful about the words we use and that, that you're, you're crafting words and you're trying to, you know, the buttons and the menus and the links and the, the text and the caption. And in a menu item and a button, you're, you have to say, communicate what people are going to experience when they click on that and what, yeah. you know, where they're going to go. And so has huge ramifications um, on, on, or whether they submit something or they, don't do something, exactly. all those things. It's, yeah. it's all words. And that, that, so that's something that I've always loved about Webstock is just that attention to words and, and language. And it, and it really comes through. And it's interesting that ethics, you mentioned earlier, has been this emergent theme over the last few years. That, and so how, how much of that was, I recall you know, during each Webstock, Mike would kind of start getting a sense as he's introducing speakers, he's like, oh, I think the theme of this year's Webstock is this, and that it was kind of an emergent theme. How much of that do you think was 
truly emergent and how much of it was actually because you had invited people with certain intentions that, you know, aligned with that theme? I think uh, we have always sought out people who share certain values. And I think a number of the people have either spoken about it um, in their talks or they just embody a certain integrity that most people will pick up on. And I think that it's, it's just evident the level of care that some people have for uh, the work that they mm. do. And it's irrespective of, of um, industry. You just know when you meet someone who is, who just, who really gives a damn. Mm. And I think that um, that is evident through someone's writing and through their speaking. And so when you, when I have uh, seen that, when Mike's seen that, um, others uh, too, uh, those are the kinds of people that we want to get because it's that passion and it's it's that um, level of personal and professional integrity that um, we w- we want to associate with. We mm. want to highlight, and, and we want to, yeah. and we re- really want to to celebrate mm. that, and hopefully for others to feel um, that they have that within themselves too. Even mm. if that perhaps it's not something that they've ever kind of celebrated in the, in themselves, mm. that they're making good decisions, and and it's really hard sometimes in environments where. People are really conscious of just getting, you know, they just the motivator is to get the work out. You just mm. got to deploy, deploy, release, mm. whatever. Mm. And so to, to stop and kind of really um, wave the flag and fight the battle for the user who is going to be directly or indirectly affected by your design decisions. To do that takes a lot of energy and, and a lot of guts and, um, and I think it's it's great to be in an environment where you see that those challenges and those battles are worth fighting, mm, mm-hmm. because if if it's easy, it probably it may not necessarily be right. You know, sometimes yeah. if it's just too easy, it's like it's, I feel like something has been forgotten, and the thing that's been forgotten is is the experience of the people that we're actually making this thing mm. for. But 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 something you just touched on there was that. There are actually really important um, issues in the balance, um, and th- this has come up a lot in you know in the last few years in Webstock talks. The unintended consequences of the de- decisions we make, and uh, around privacy, around the, the economics and of of the platforms that we're building, that by consciously bringing people together to actually discuss these issues that we're kind of all, you know, struggling with. And is, is this an ethical issue? And is how much of this, there's the pragmatic reality and there's also my idealistic kind of yeah. vision and how do I balance those and how do I... And so for me, the last few years have been really great in that way of coming to, you know, especially after, for instance, Trump was elected and yeah. I've just felt like I need to be with my people. <laughs> I really need that. Yeah. And, and it was, it, it, it did the job and it really, it gave me that hope for humanity that I was really, you know, feeling dark about. And it is really difficult in these kind of, it's a weird dark time where the, it feels like these, you know, the, the, these 
forces are kind of at battle about yeah. the future that we want to create and whether it's inclusive or exclusive seems to be a very, you know, whether it's financial, whether it's racial, whether it's gender. The interesting thing is realizing that the software that we make the, and the design, the design work that we do has an impact on that, has influences the way people feel and the way yeah. that they act. And also that the companies that we create also need to be be created consciously and to be created with values. And so it was... Um, Anil Dash? Uh, yes, Anil Dash. His talk really that spoke to that idea of building the, the type of companies that we build um, and doing that consciously. What I hope I hope comes across is that it's it's these kinds of people who really care because it, it's not just about the work. I believe that each and every one of, of these speakers that we've just named and so many others who have taken the stage at Webstock, they really, really care about the web as as, mm. as an entity, as a, as a thing that connects. And that um, it goes back to that, to what Tim Berners-Lee was trying to create, this thing that is, that is um, truly democratic and mm. that will allow us to access information irrespective of device that can unite us in, in a positive way. And that I, I think when there is that altruism, and I guess that's what really mm. um, tickles my fancy is finding people who, who care about the thing mm. that we're all working on because it, it affects us. It affects our children. This thing can be, um, it can be a force for good or it can be a force for, for the other, mm. and I really believe that they believe in the power of uh, of the web for greatness, mm. for for goodness. Um, and so it's it's those kind of people that I that we try to seek out, mm. and that we want other people in the audience to to um, to have that resonate, mm. and then for them to go and share the message. Well, also, and, and also to be aware of what's emerging. So, for instance, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And so the last couple of years have, you've had some great speakers really highlight the pitfalls of artificial intelligence and the, the biases inherent in it so that we're training the computers how to think. And yeah. so we're training them with all our racial, gender, um, political biases. Yes. And um, and then also there's emergent um, things again un unintended consequences of just letting the computer make its own decisions. Yeah, that um, are often you know can can lead down weird and dangerous places. And so it's been really great to just have that again that consciousness about let's think about what we're doing. Let's not just like hey, there's new technology and this is fun and yeah. Well, it's the uh... I, we used to get called, um, and it sounded like not, it wasn't meant um, in the most positive light, as a, like a hippie love fest mm. for the web. And I think th that is not untrue mm. because it was very celebratory. It mm. was very happy. I think now it's there's a more sober mm. message mm. because we, we need, we really need to think about this stuff and we need to take action. Because otherwise it's going to slip away from us and it's going to be taken over by, um, oh, I didn't think about that. Mm. Well, it's it's your job. Mm. This is your job to think about those things. And there are no excuses for us to not be um, seeking information, to try and broaden 
our understanding of those that we are um, trying to to create for. Mm. Because if we and it is that it's you know that that recognition that you're doing this in service of somebody else. Yes. That you're not doing this for yourself. Well, I would hope <laughs> I would hope that that's kind of the foundation yeah. on which we do our work, because if if we're just doing it for ourselves, then that you know. Right. But I those mean, lines get blurred. They, they absolutely, you know. absolutely. But you know, I I am really am, um in love with the the concept of omotenashi, the the Japanese concept of um, selfless service mm. of. Uh, hospitality of anticipating needs mm. um, of people before they even know that that is a need in themselves. And I think that that is, that's kind of what we should be doing mm. is trying to truly understand and observe and consider and care for those that we are doing the work for, mm. because otherwise we're just, um, it sort of seems almost like masturbation instead of work when but it is to serve. but it is understanding the user in a much broader bigger sense than <clears throat> you know that that i think our industry does have um and i'm certainly guilty of it uh you know a bit of a myopic perspective on who the customer is who the user is um and so it's refreshing to 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 go to these events where you all of a sudden get exposed to other professionals that are have other experiences and 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 are working with different sets of users that help you understand that actually these you, there is overlap here that it's not yeah. you know that and sometimes that can be so jarring don't you think mm, like yeah. it can be quite and i i know that there have been certain things over the past few years that some people have kind of felt um either confronted by mm. Uh, and, and deeply un uncomfortable <clears throat> with, and you know that perhaps we're just getting on the political, uh, politically correct bandwagon and mm. all of this sort of stuff. But once that discomfort settles, then I think that it's a, it's an entirely new way that helps us serve better. Um, we we start to I don't even know if it if we're kind of conscious of when it starts to take hold. Mm. I I remember a friend. Um, pulling me up on my use of the term guys because mm -hmm. I say that mm -hmm. a lot and that's and also like there are lots of words that I use and I never really considered how they could be gendered how they could be um how they could be hurtful mm. for someone um so chicks or lady or you know there's lots of words that I commonly use but guys um was was one of them that I remember um being like oh wow this is a little bit uncomfortable because yeah. I now am really conscious mm -hmm. of the language that I'm using and I'm I'm I guess um, I'm almost a little bit afraid in case it pops out yeah. unexpectedly I, it's, so, it's funny because the same thing with particularly with the word guys that now I hear myself say it every yeah. time and I'm like it comes out because I'm in the yeah, mode yeah. of speaking and then I'm just like okay now in the rest of this conversation, I have to avoid using that word because that is just not okay. Isn't it interesting, yeah. though, how it's that, it, and we start to see it and but, hear and it's it everywhere. raising consciousness. So all of a sudden people, as you say, it just is in your subconscious at first. Yes. And then it starts raising up into your consciousness. Yeah. And, yeah, that's... And I, I think that 
I, I do understand when we've had feedback about things that have made people uncomfortable. Mm. And I obviously the like last what? thing I want, I want to do. Like is what? Make, what, what? Oh, I mean, um, some people were confronted by some of the material in, in Nat's talk this year. Um, I thought that it was a similar experience mm. perhaps to, to um, where I've been pulled up on language or because you, you start to look at perhaps some of the things that you've done and so immediately that defense mechanism pops up perhaps. Mm. Oh, you know, yeah. well, I didn't didn't mean to and, you know, it's, it's people being oversensitive or whatever. But actually then it, it's, it starts to settle mm. and so you become a lot more aware of the things that you're seeing and hearing and hopefully you're, you're choosing to make a more positive choice out of the exposure to this idea mm. um, that you didn't necessarily welcome in the first place. And so this was, she, she was talking about um, sign up forms in particular yeah, and yeah. that the name, just the name field. So you, the, the pattern that we're all familiar with is first name, last name. And so she really highlighted how that, pattern is a very Western way of thinking and that, you know, so Eastern cultures have different, you know, Japanese have it reversed and other cultures do as well. And middle name and last name, these are all, um, again, very Anglo, uh, centric ways of, of doing things. And so those are things I've, you know, like, as I was listening to that, I was like, yeah, but we have databases and you need to make them searchable. And, you know, like just the logistics of, and not just the logistics, how people are, conditioned and need to find things and that that is a, an aid for you know structuring data but beyond that what hit me a bit more was when she pointed out a lot of times you don't even need to, we were just on autopilot yeah and we ask for these this information and we don't even need it exactly like and, like male female yes exactly that's the one i was going to point out and that that people um, you know, think that they're going to be able to get derived demographic information from that and that it's completely nonsense and biased. And again, it just serves to reinforce these gender biases and that the male female thing is just a, one of those dumb, um, uh, autopilot fields that we tend to put in. And, and you can imagine being that one person in, in a room with a whole bunch of others. Yeah. Um, saying, "Hey, why do we need this?" and the response that that one would the flack to that, that you would get, yeah, you know. But um, what a valuable contribution, yeah. I think. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly not saying that this stuff is easy, mm. and that and that the things, the ideas that we're exposed to um, at Webstock or at any um, mm. conference or or you know gathering of, of ideas um, are able to that the solutions can happen overnight, but just for us to be a lot more conscious mm, of them and mm. to, to try to make the, the best decisions wherever we can going forward and work then towards correcting some of the things that perhaps mm. weren't, um, weren't done as, mm. as they could be now. That's, that's certainly a step in the right direction and, and better is better. Right. Mm. So, mm. um, wanted to get back to, uh, the brand and so something kind of tangible, uh, so you said DNA and Ben Fink did that originally. Yeah. And was the original vision to have it be unique every year, to have a new brand basically every year? Um, I'm not really sure if that was a conscious thing. I think I think it probably was. And maybe because I get, I love mm. the, the creation of something new every year. Um, 
And I think that it gives us an opportunity. In the last few years, we've had uh, the great privilege of partnering with different um, designers and artists and illustrators. And so that their energy brings something new. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you can find inspiration for the work that you do from so many different places and often from places that you weren't necessarily expecting. Mm. It's, so again, it's that it kind of comes back to being a fan as mm. well. Like right. if, yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's such an extraordinary privilege um, and privilege on many levels to be able to partner with these different people um, and, and to kind of come up with some harebrained scheme for something, you know, you can do and see where it takes you. And how, how involved in that are you? Uh, well, that's probably the thing that I spend most of my time right. on now. Um, so I'm very, uh, I like, I like swag mm. and I like, um, creating things that people can take away and that hopefully they will. I, I mean, the, the goal I think when we did swag initially was that it shouldn't, it should be beautiful and it should be useful mm. and it shouldn't be at all wasteful. Mm. Um, so we made it very clear to all of our sponsors that we didn't want people giving out flyers and, you know, crappy things Pens that end up, yeah, yeah, that end up in, oh, you can get a good pen though. A yeah, good pen yeah, is yeah, very yeah, useful. Yeah. Um, but we didn't want anything that would end up in landfill. Um, and so, and I think as I'm becoming far more aware of this personally mm. and professionally is that we have a really huge um, responsibility to ensure that if, what we do and what we give out and what we use in the creation of mm. the event, if that is not sustainable mm. and if that isn't considered, then we're doing a great disservice mm. to to the people and our planet. Um, so it's a very, very important thing for me now to um, make sure that the people that we work with are sourcing um, whatever they use mm. from um, sustainable, ethical mm. places that what we can, what we make can either be repurposed or recycled. Um, or, and if it can't, then do we even need it? Mm. But in terms of the actual design of it, um, and the design of the branding, are you art directing a lot of that? So I work very closely with, um, the people that we, Mm. um, have, you know, working on it. So, the last two years, Tim and I have worked really closely. Um, Tim Walter Hansen. Um, so he um, was responsible for on the website. You know, there was the W with all the little bits and pieces. And so um, very early on, we talked about the concept of, um, which is I guess what part of Webstock is to me, the, the magic of the of the web mm. itself, because it is like if you take a step back, it's pretty crazy. Mm. Yeah, what it can do and what it is and then also the craft so um, and those two terms really make up what Webstock is at its core to me and what uh, what we're trying to share with others so he made uh, that W um, filled with little components that speak to that uh, and then I work with Ange who um, of course, has been our designer really from the get go, um, and and she's magnificent and and understands that the way that I work is I 
ask for a lot of iterations. So right. sometimes there might be, you know, I, I think the the worst year when I was at my worst was like 38 iterations mm. of like a bag design. So I guess I don't, um, I wouldn't use the term art direct, but I, I very much, I signed things Curate. off. <laughs> yeah. So I, I will, yeah. I, I see something that I would like mm. and try to communicate that. And then, um, when I feel like we've got it right, I share yeah. it with the team and we make a decision and then it's signed off. And right. yeah, and that's, that's the way that process works. Right. And the videos, like, cause that was in like, that wasn't there in the beginning. No. So I think we started that in 2010. Mm. We, we did record everything. Right. No, and, no, no. But the, the intro videos. Oh, the, the intro videos. Yeah. Yeah. Also yeah. oh, the, the trailers. The yeah, yeah, the, closing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just thought that that would be, um, I, mean, I watched this, a lot of movies, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 and yeah. I just thought, what a right. great way. Credit sequence kind of. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And and then um, it also, to me, kind of kicks things off. Yeah. Rather than having someone come out, hi, everyone. You know, <laughs> Dead it's silence. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, lights go down right. and people. Sets the tempo. Yeah, because yeah. in the movies, that's, yeah, that's the yeah, thing you're waiting yeah, for, yeah. right? Yeah, I love that. So, um, so yeah, I, I, love, I love that bit. Uh, and then we've added in the credits um the names of mm. everyone who attends as well right. as those who speak mm. uh which um we've done for a number of years now but people seem to really get a kick out of that and have said that um it makes them feel even more like they were mm. a part of it which is what we want yeah it's and and also you know it, it's really great the fun that you have in creating these things is really comes across as an attendee oh that's good and that I think it's a, it, it is one of those distinguishing things about the event that every year there's a new brand, so there's an anticipation that what's the design going to be, and that that really makes it something that you really look forward to, and that, that oh, that's you, so cool you know, to hear. yeah, that it isn't this just you know here's the boilerplate, <laughs> and and so I think that that was that that was one of those really you know defining qualities of the event, and it's so it's fun for you and it's fun for everyone else, which is oh, really cool. great. Yeah. So people complain every year and moan and groan about the price of it. Yeah. And yet, you know, I've heard you say that, you know, that you barely break even if I'm not mistaken or that. That, that can be a situation. Right. So some, some years it's been okay. Mm. And, um, and some years it has been really touch and go. Mm. And the whole nature of events, um, is that, uh, you don't, some, you know, you don't know who's going to turn up or mm. who's going to buy a ticket until almost the day of the event. Mm. So there have been occasions where we, you know, a month out, two months out, and we're looking at a significant loss, mm. which we will, you know, have to wear. Um, so from a, a personal standpoint, mm. that's that's really scary. Yeah. Um, and saying all of that. While I certainly don't want to go bankrupt or have to sell my house or anything, there is, if I'm going to go out, I would rather go out having given it my all. Mm. We, we kind of have to hope and pray and do all sorts of dances to the gods that it'll be all right. But I would hope that there is an understanding that we really, we, we really give a shit about mm. this. Mm. We really care about their experience and we really want them to walk away feeling that those two days or that five-day period that they spent with us was 
um, money well spent and that hopefully it's done way more than, than feel just that, mm. that it has opened their eyes and hopefully their heart and it's given them connections um, to wonderful people who understand the work that they're doing and can make that work better. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the future of Webstock? We're talking at the moment about what that looks like. Mm. Um, one of the things, one of the challenges for us is that our venue that we've used for the last few years is unavailable for 2019, uh, the St. James. And um, our venue prior to that was the town hall. And of course that was closed down for earthquake strengthening. Um, and uh, we were told that it, that would be back in action in, um, two years later. And that's been what, five years ago now. So I guess we are um, aware of just how difficult some of these projects are sometimes. And I think that Wellington has so much going for it, but to me, a, a big, um, an area for improvement <laughs> <laughs> um, are the spaces mm. that we have for events, because certainly we could do it, um, there are uh, places available, mm. but would that affect the way that Webstock feels? Mm. And that's not necessarily, if, if it does, it's not necessarily a bad thing, mm. because having run it for 12 years, an, an injection of new energy could be, you know, something that would work very well. Mm. But I just think it it's not something that we want to do without really heavily considering mm. um, the implications and, and uh, the change to everything that we really hold dear. So if it works, then we'll, we'll find a space. But mm. if it doesn't, then it may be just a, a chance for a breather mm. or... Um, I hope it's not a time to hang up our hat, mm. but um, as with all things, and, 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 and even if we had the venue thing sewn up, even mm. if that was tickety-boo, I think it's always a good idea to be constantly questioning the value that we have for people, mm. and does that value still exist? And, and you, do you mean that in terms of just running a conference? I, I mean running a conference and running Webstock. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's making sure that... Um, because, you know, I really do believe that we are here to serve. Mm. And so is, is what we are doing serving people mm. well, mm. um, or are we doing it because it's now become a habit mm. Mm. and, um, and the thought of not doing it is so incredibly sad to mm. me. Mm. Um, there are so many things that I just, um, relish and that I realize are, the things that I probably always wanted to do in my life, but mm. I've just not, not quite realized. So in some ways it's this dream mm. realized, mm. but, um, it's not about me and it's not about the team organized, you know, behind the event. It's about what, what we can do for right. other people. And, and so have you in that process explored, you know, radically redefining what, a conference like this can and could be that's that's kind of where we're at right. at the moment is is really understanding um what the thing is that we're trying to do and whether the ethos and the values that we mm. hold dear mm. can um translate into an event and a space that people can share these ideas and and feel part of something um and it's it's hard to know what that looks like. Mm. 
I think questioning everything is not a bad mm, mm. Uh, way to to just sort of stay in touch with with yourself mm, and mm. with that kind of um, personal and professional goal mm, and, yeah. and yeah the values I guess of, of what the whole thing is all about right yeah huh. uh, I'm definitely keen to find out and hear <laughs> what's coming well, up. and be... I, and it, I, I do I think that you know it, it would be interesting to change it up and change the format in some ways and that it would be I think it'd be fun like I don't like if yeah. I feel like if I was running it yep. it'd be a fun challenge like a design yeah. problem to kind of solve and 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 like you you know you've kind of suggested that that events are kind of saturated now and or that 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 people go to a lot of meetups now a lot more than ever and that there's a lot certainly a lot more in New Zealand than there ever was and that there are a variety of a lot more variety of events yeah so um it does seem like an opportunity to you know change it up yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 explore what could be done like if you push push the boundaries a bit where could you take this thing and i don't i don't I have no answers about you know yeah i mean i have some thoughts but well i would <laughs> like to pick your brain on those next podcast yeah, okay. <laughs> so i i wanted to find out where'd you grow up i grew up in the hut so right. i'm a hut chick right um i grew up in upper hut and i went to school in lower hut and um my parents are originally from Gisborne, so I spent right. a lot of time in Gisborne. Uh, it's where I had my first job. Mm. I worked in my auntie's four square shop. Right. It's about nine in Gisborne. when I started. Yep. Right. And uh, basically, my pay there was uh, mostly lollies, <laughs> um, which was worked out great, frankly. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a really cool experience because I felt like um, I felt like a grown up. Mm. And someone that could be trusted mm -hmm. and relied on. I thought responsibility. Working, yeah, and, and I got to meet people and yeah. again lollies, and so it was that was pretty neat. Um, my dad is a fitter and turner by trade, so he. What worked, is that? I don't know what that so is. So they, so my dad fixes the engines and the crankshafts and mm. all sorts of things Mechanic. on. Yeah, on. Um, big machines often, right. so diggers and dozers right. and graders yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And uh, he's been in the same company, working for the same company mm. for 54 years wow. and eight months and like 21 days or something. <laughs> and he loves it. Right. He wakes up every morning um, generally looking forward to his day. Right. I mean, it's not he's not like a toothpaste commercial or something, but he really does enjoy the yeah. value uh, of his work and he yeah gets up 4 30 every morning wow. for a six o'clock start and um and i remember when i was very young he i wasn't really enjoying a, this job that i had and i spoke to him thinking that he would just tell me to you know harden up and mm. this is what work is and he said that you know um I would get, get up every morning and I look forward to my day and I look forward to the problems I'm going to mm. solve and the people I'm going to meet. And so if you're really hating what you're doing, that's a problem that you mm. need to try to fix. And I think that his approach to work, because he's very, very smart, mm. Dad, and I think that he really could have done and been anything. Mm. But he um, took on uh, fitting and turning because he was – it, it, all signs were that he was going to be um, taking on the family business, 
which then uh, didn't eventuate. Mm. So um, he has he had a path that was both that he chose but also was chosen for him mm, mm. and and so didn't explore the things that probably he actually would love to have done mm. but yet he has made these this wonderful um he's chosen to right. love it and i think there's something that to me is very inspiring about that mm. and i love how he just he chooses to wake up mm. and look forward to his day and um yeah to that's that's what kind of true wealth is to mm, me because he mm. doesn't get paid a huge amount, mm. but he um, sees meaning and value in the work yeah. that he does. Oh, that's awesome. So did you uh, have any sense when you were a kid that you were on a trajectory that involved design and technology? Uh, no, no. Um, did you have computer? Did you grow up with computers? Yeah, I, we had an Amstrad. And what my time, you know, so it was like the BBC type. Um, it was like the uh, competitor to the Com Commodore sixty four. Right. Okay. Um, and I just played Fruity Frank, which was a that's all I did really. <laughs> and I think we had a golf game as mm. well. Um, that's really all I did. I think what I loved to do, and what I got into trouble in my teens doing, was I liked organizing things and people mm. i liked bringing people together mm. um i liked so in my teens i got into a lot of trouble for having parties some with my parents consent some without because i just it was a way to bring people together mm -hmm. to have fun mm -hmm. and i think that when i look back on mm. some of the things that i've that i dabbled with as a young as a little person um it was all around trying to make things pretty mm. and, and nice um, and, and and bringing people together. So I loved um, flowers and I my, my first little business, I had a number of little businesses mm. when I was small. I had a chocolate business, so I used to get chocolate and, and put it into molds and then, you know, some were like Easter themed and Christmas themed and I'd go around and sell those. And then I had another little business that I decorated terracotta pots when terracotta pots were cool, <laughs> like with calico bows and, and floral arrangements. Um, and I went into flor. I had a, a spell in floristry later in life. So I think that there are little things that um, perhaps there were signs mm, of mm. that when I was little, mm. but I thought that they were fun things to do. And I didn't appreciate that there was a career in the things that you mm. loved doing, mm, mm. Um, which I think is it's such a wonderful thing to hear parents and teachers share with, with um, younger people now mm. that what they love, they could actually turn into something that um, they can make a living yeah. from. And it's really great because that is one of those things that isn't an obvious career path. It's like, you know, that you, you, you put together parties and yeah. it's not an obvious next step. Okay. You're going to be an event organizer. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, you can see that clear, you know, the connection between the two. Um, but it's really only in hindsight that that's, you know, that you ended yeah. up, you can look back and say, oh yeah, that was where kind of that energy the funny thing is, too, though, that um, it's only been recently that I guess I've started to go, oh, okay, I guess I do events. Mm. Because for so long, I have regarded myself as a web person. Mm. Because, I mean, I started 
um, dabbling with the web like when I was 20. So that's yeah. almost 20 years ago. Mm. And so, and I really miss the web actually. I miss, um, I miss trying to be that voice for the user. Mm. And that's not to say that I can't or won't go back to that. But at, at this point, um, I've just got a new job as doing events. So that's going to be the path that I'll yeah. go down for the next, um, you know, the next wee while. But hopefully still continue. Well, I mean, I'll always have a love affair mm. with what the web has the power to become mm. and what, what I see, you know, moments of. Mm. When, when there are people who love it and care for it too. And the magic still yeah. exists. Yeah. yeah. And the possibility for more magic. Well, like I use Shazam and I'm like, holy mm -hmm. shit, this mm. thing is amazing. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's just having those little, those moments of delight, of yeah. sheer delight at yeah. what you are using yeah. or experiencing. Yeah. And then it's still magical. Yeah. 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 So, but you did do, you were, you did work in tech doing what so you you mentioned trade me what like how did you get into actual web business um so i was um working for a computer training company mm. like in doing their admin mm. and after a few years i went to like essentially their competitor um as an, in an account management role mm. so doing all of their sales and and I was seeing these people who were so they were so brainy and they were so mm. skilled, you know, mm. and they really just were able to talk about um, about these products in this way that was to me very romantic. Mm. And so I wanted to get in on that, right. but um, and, oh, and then just the web, I just thought this was, and I still do, just absolutely magical. Mm. And so I. Um, I spent about a year or so just tra like training and doing mm. a lot in my own time right. and paying for um, courses. And so then approached them with an idea of why don't I be your internet trainer and I can show people how to use a browser and, mm. you know, cause I didn't really have anyone. And so because of my background in sales, I said, well, here's my approach. I would talk, look at everybody who's done, access and anyone who's had a, you know who's mentioned that they have an interest in this or that and i'll mm. go to them and say this is a course that we're proposing and would you be interested in, in that so that's and that kind of took me in that direction mm. so i um did computer training and it was like i was doing five-day technical courses mm. and i think now like who is this chick who right. would stand up in front of people who knew way more um but i guess i just I, I was just so fixated and in mm. love with mm. the web that I didn't maybe consider too much. Right. You didn't overthink it. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish that I was that girl yeah. again. Um, um, yeah. And so then, uh, you know, my, my boyfriend, he left to go to the UK. And mm. so I, I went a while later because I actually wanted to keep doing my job for a oh, bit right. longer. So then I, I met him over there and ended up working for a large insurance company over there, which was, it wasn't a place that where the web had taken hold. Mm. And so I was this, um, you know, kind of kooky New Zealand chick bouncing mm. around talking about how awesome the web was all mm. the time. And we should really get on that. And so I was there for, um, I, I think about two and a half years or so. Um, and then I went to Yahoo 
uh, and was looking after jobs, cars, and motors there oh, for a yeah. while. Yeah. But then, um, very sadly, my now husband's um, his father passed away, mm. and so we returned to New Zealand. Um, and and then I was working um, for TEC, mm -hmm. and that's actually where yeah. I remember yeah, meeting yeah. you the first time. Um, and yeah, and then went into to trade me, mm. um, which was when I had really decided that I wanted to kind of specialize, I guess, if, if that's the right term for me to use and, and waving the flag, um, for the user. So mm. I would go into people's homes and workplaces and observe them using trade me and trying to understand their entire experience around selling my focus was really on big sellers so people mm. who had um, gross merchandise sales of over ten thousand dollars a week wow. yeah which was and, and some of them were, were truly doing it from their bedrooms mm. so it was an extraordinary privilege to yeah. for them to have allowed me in um, and they were very very honest um, with me so it was the role of user experience person, but also sometimes counselor mm. because you would, especially through, um, being in this intimate space with them and just observing mm. the moments of real pain mm. and moments, you know, of, of, of hopefully little sparks of delight too, but mm. the little things that would just cause them or, or things that they didn't even realize that I would be pained by. Like, why are you having, <laughs> yeah. this is unfair that you should have to do this again and again and again. We should be making this easier for you. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that was my role really is mm. to try to understand how we could make their lives better. And while, yeah, as I said, the, the focus was the big sellers. Mm. I, it was certainly the hope that by understanding some of these problems for these people at that scale, that it would make, everything else better for every mm. other user yeah. of trade me too. Um, and I think I was there for three, three years, three mm. and a half years. Mm. And then Webstock had really just taken over. And yeah. so it sounds like you, had, you enjoyed that job. Oh yeah. I mean to have people be able to allow you to, mm. um, to see their process mm. and, and really kind of get inside to, to get to know them and to be able to then be that voice for mm, them, to mm. represent them in the room mm. when decisions, obviously all companies have to make decisions based around the bottom line and, mm. and so on. But um, if there were little things that I could try to do mm. to make, to, to represent the user and, and um, the kindest way. And did you way. ever go back to them and like after you made some changes and see like the impact that it had on them? That Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I ended up having, you know, a really good relationship with mm. a number of them. Mm. Mm. Um, and they would come to me, uh, with issues and, and I felt that there was an incredible amount of, um, responsibility that I had to mm. them because I was their representative. Right. Yeah. So I couldn't get everything done, obviously, but where I did, you know, where, where I was able to maybe just share some experiences with people mm. uh, and help them think about how other people use trade me in really weird and wonderful ways, unlike whatever had been expected. Mm. Um, and so, yes. Yeah, so, so when you see that too, 
the choices that are then made, mm. you start to realize that, well, that would totally screw this person's whole process up because this is the way that we've had to, that they have had to adapt yeah. in order to deal with some of the kooky decisions that have been made here. Yeah, no, it was, it was just, it was a fascinating experience and, and uh, one that I reflect on really uh, with a lot of affection. Right. Great. That's yeah. so great. Well, thank you very, very much. This was thank delightful. You. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I did too. Thanks, Philip. Excellent. That's our show. I really hope Webstock returns soon, but if we have to wait a little while, it'll be worth the wait. It's a very special conference that I highly recommend. And every year, Webstock generously offers scholarships covering the full cost of the conference. And those scholarships are open to anyone and everyone, not just students. Please check the show notes for links to the videos of the Webstock Talks by Sasha Judd and Nat Dudley, which we discussed. Plus, there's a link to a beautiful story Natasha wrote about Omotenashi, the Japanese philosophy of service and hospitality. You can check the show notes at alchemypodcasts.com. That's alchemypodcasts with an S at the end, dot com. Plus, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at alchemypodcasts. Thanks for listening. Cheers.